Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe Pasillo, as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go in to the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan as we ask you to please download veritas catholic radio network mobile app so that you access to all of our station's content. Remember, we are an EWTN affiliate, so you'll get EWTN content. Also, you'll get general programming, including Frontline with Joe and Joe, Restless. Let's be frank with Father uh, with uh, Bishop Caggiano, so we have a great lineup there. So when you download the app, remember, you can listen to the radio station anywhere you are because you have the app. Please share it with your friends. Speaking of sharing with your friends, wherever you find Joe and I, on social media, primarily at the Frontline TV or the Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, and do all that fun stuff that really helps us out. We're having a lot of success there. And today, we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program a friend of the show, Kristen Van Uden from Sophia Institute Press. Joe and I always emphasize that what we're part of our culture war that we in, we're in is controlling our finances. When we want to read the books that are important to us as Roman Catholics and we go and they're out there, just like the one we're going to be talking about today, go to the publisher, support the publisher, support Sophia, go on the website, go peruse their books and you'll see their whole lineup there. And there's going to be a lot to choose from. And let's put money in the pockets of our corporations who are doing things that we value. So that's a little a little plug for Sophia Institute and all of our publishers out there from the front line with Joe and Joe. Let's start controlling how we spend our money. So uh, now many of you who listen to the front line with Joe and Joe uh, know Kristen Van Uden. Having said that, uh, for those of you who do not, uh, she serves as an author spokesperson at Sophia Institute Press. She received her MA in history from the College of William and Mary and her BA in history and Russian from St. Anselm College. She studied the persecution of Catholics under communist regimes. She's been featured on a wide range of media platforms, including Coast to Coast AM, The Federalist, and The Catholic Faith Network. We're Kristen Van Uden. Welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, our friend. Hi, guys. It's great to be back. Excellent. Joe Rissanello. Kristen, as always, we begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided, inspired by this confidence. We find to you a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. Name of the Father. So Joe, let me just say, uh, and then I'm going to kick it right over to you. So I know from personal experience, I, I, like as, as a Catholic, you know, we, some, you know, when you're deep in the faith, Kristen, you think you know everything. And of course, <laughs> we don't. That's why we have our Catholic authors out there to enlighten us all. One of the things I know I need a lot of work with is 
the the interior life, hidden faults, okay? The things you might not be aware of. How do I identify those things? How those things could be destructive? So uh, Father James McElhone has written a book, Rooting Out Hidden Faults, How the Particular Examine Conquers Sin. I have a big issue. I, I just quite frankly don't know how to do an examine, you know? And that's why I'm glad you're here because as we say at the front line with Joe and Joe all the time, not only are we trying to educate those people who listen to us, Joe and I are being educated too. So the book for all of you out there is uh, the author is Father James McElhone and the book is Rooting Out Hidden Faults, How the Particular Examine Conquer Sin. That's available at Sophia Institute Press. Joe Restinello, where do you want to begin? Well, Kristen, this is a reprint of a 1952 classic, which gives a step-by-step guide as how to make a particular exam, and it's rooted in the five wounds of Jesus. I guess a good place to start is who's Father James? Give us a little background on this priest. So Father James McElhone was a Holy Cross father. Their charism is teaching, and he was involved with teaching theology at the seminary at what is now Notre Dame College in Indiana. So he wrote this book as an examine for his seminary students, actually. So you'll see throughout there are certain questions and certain sections that pertain more to those discerning the religious life. But the way that we've printed it, it works for everybody, especially the laity. Um, in any stage or state of life. So he was writing this uh, for two reasons. One, for his students to prepare to hear confessions one day and to be able to determine the culpability, the degree of culpability of someone sitting on the other side of the confessional to dispense with their sin and to to get to the heart of what was causing their sin, but also for these men to be able to make good confessions themselves because course as you know priests have to remain in the state of grace it's um, a priest friend was telling me that whatever temptations we are tempted to a priest is tempted three times stronger because the devil puts a target on their back um, as as someone who has apostolic succession they're majorly targeted by evil so <clears throat> they of course have to be very wary of making good confessions too so this is written in a very readable manner for those who I had never heard of the particular examine before, and I think it's a great place to start. Excellent. Christopher Van Newton joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. The book is Rooting Out Hidden Faults, How the Particular Examine Conquer Sin, the author's father, James McElhone. So so the, the, the book, or we should say, how does the book, Kristen, um, incorporate the five wounds of Christ into the process of, of making this examination of conscience and um and and go and, and talk about that too exactly you know what i remember a few years ago examination of conscience i, I didn't even know what that was so maybe you can tell our audience so what is the examine itself and how does the book incorporate the five wounds of christ into examining your conscience sure so an examination of conscience is typically organized around the 10 commandments right where we're called to examine how we violated each of these commandments either mortally or venially every day and it's very clear which what is a violation of the commandments you know it's very clear cut these make very obvious what done wrong in addition to the natural law to god's law and the particular examine is a little bit different because this is an examine centered around than the commandments so it really gets to as the title implies the root of why we sin because these sins are the root of any type of sin that we can commit against the Ten Commandments. They, These are the vices that each of us will have in varying degrees. And he starts the book by having us examine what we believe 
might be our predominant fault. And when you go through the book, through each of the questionnaires, because as it's organized, he has questionnaires that allow you to really introspect and to kind of psychoanalyze yourself to figure out which of these sins are the others. Somebody's predominant fault will be the sin that they fall into the most often, the high degrees of recidivism, the one you find yourself confessing again and again. And it's the root of all, usually, all or a lot of the other sins that the person commits. So a root sin of pride can lead to envy, obviously, can lead to anger, can lead to breaking uh, the fifth commandment and in, in, in acts of anger, for example. And so the seven daily sins are really insidious because often they'll manifest not as obvious confessible sins in number and kind, but almost sometimes as immutable personality traits, right? So if we think of avarice, for example, we'll say, oh, so-and-so is just really cheap, he's a cheapskate, or he's tight-fisted, without considering that that might actually have a root in the sin of avarice. Same with anger, we'll say, uncle so-and-so has a temper, not kind of excusing what is really a sin, as just, oh, that's part of his personality. So the great thing about the particular exam is that you're able to figure out that some of these things you might have thought were unchangeable about yourself really are sin, which is kind of a wake-up call, but it's also very freeing because if they're sins, that means that they can be defeated through grace and they can actually be rooted out. So those those vices that you're tempted to are temptations that will probably never go away, but acting on them and sinning and having them as part of your daily life can go away. Um, and then to address your, your point about the five wounds, he starts right here on chapter two on page seven, giving us a meditation um, by which we can ground ourselves and center ourselves before making this exam. Because this exam can be uh, very difficult to make just uh, if you're not approaching it with humility, because you'll learn a lot about yourself that you might not want to know. You might not want to be ready to embrace the fact that you have one of these sins at the, at the center of, of your life. And so he reminds us that perfect contrition consists in being sorry for hurting our Lord through our sins. So he takes us through the five wounds. The wound of the right the right foot is the exam in itself. The wound of the left foot is contrition, begging pardon for our sins. And then finally, the wound of the heart of Jesus, perfect for the month of the Sacred Heart, June, is to renew our resolutions, to not sin again, and to put the full force of our will behind our our decision to stop sin. So it's just it's just a nice way to visually ground us and to remind us that the reason we stop sin, though it might be hard, might be difficult to confront things, is because our Lord has is hurt by our sins and he died for them. Kristen, what are some of the other vices that are noted in the book and some of the misconceptions surrounding them? Yeah, so he goes through each of the seven deadly sins. So just to, to name those off as a reminder. Pride is the first one, then avarice, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. And oh, there's so many, I think we should go through some of the actual questions for each of these because they manifest sometimes in very sneaky ways. So something that was new to me reading this book was that there's actually four different types of pride. So we, when we think of pride, typically think of what is known as pride of superiority or authority, which is the first type of pride, very your obvious sort of narcissistic, prideful, egotistical person. And that is really just the, the basic level of pride. The next two types of pride are known as pride of and 
pride because they'll manifest themselves almost as a self-hatred, which we would think is the inverse of pride. But as Father McElhone explains, what pride is, is essentially a lie about the self. It's increasing or decreasing the reality of one's own importance in the supernatural order. So to combat this, humility, which is the truth about oneself, is placing ourselves in our proper order, in the supernatural order. I, when, if you're able to really embrace that humility, the timidity and sensitivity will disappear as well. Uh, he gives some examples of these sins as, um, and if we go through some of the questions, he says, am I easily embarrassed? Am I suspicious or distrustful? Do I accuse others deliberately unkind to me? So we might just think of someone who has these traits as just being sad, depressed, or having just sensitivity or emotional sensitivity. But the revelation that this can actually come from pride was, was huge to me, especially um, the fact that he are easily offended are seeking what's known as human respect. So an overvaluing opinions over our, our identities, our actions, rather than the only opinion that matters, which is the opinion of God. So by decentering these this over-obsession with what other people think of us, we, we can combat that type of pride. And then finally, the fourth pride is what's known as vanity. So that is a pride that's very external, show-offy, very similar to the first type of pride, but it's more so obsessed with impressing others rather than just gaining personal wealth or things like that. It's more about, again, that human respect. So these very introspective things were, were new to me because when you think of the confessional, when you're going through your 10 commandments, how often does pride come up and how do you, how do you exactly confess pride? You know, <laughs> like if it's so ingrained into how you act in daily life, it's difficult to isolate in a number and kind confessible type of violation of the commandments. So for this exam comes in. And one thing I find interesting about the questionnaire critical um, do I fall easily? All of these things, um, a little bit more obvious in the ones on pride and timidity, like am I embarrassed? Being embarrassed is not a sin, right? That's just kind of a, a trick or a, a tendency. But the fact that it's included in this in this examine, he's trying to suss out what that trait points to. If this is a pattern in your life, what is the underlying sin that it could potentially point to? So to necessarily confess everything on this list, like being embarrassed, you don't have to confess, but you can use that as a as a roadmap, as a marker to be like, hmm, maybe this points to an underlying sin that I do need to address. And here is one of the external signs bubbling approaches. Well, and that's why we have to, you know, have a little humility, you know, because remember, some someone might listening to this conversation, Kristen Van Uden joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Someone listening might say, Well, I go to confession. Why do I need all this other stuff? I go to confession, I offer, I offer my sins. And that's correct. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not, that's that's absolutely spot on. You go and you offer your confession and you are forgiven if you're if you're sincerely sorry for your sins. But I think with books like this and others, but the book the book itself is rooting out hidden faults, how particular examine conquers written by Father McElhone, published by Sophia Press. I think books like this, beyond just going to confession and confessing our sins, which is ultimately what we need to do, but also growing in holiness, recognizing these things so that we're able to 
change them, maybe change or tweak our behavior a little, a little bit. Like you said, Krista Van Uden, maybe, maybe they're, they're not, it's not a sinful behavior. Okay. I don't have to confess, confess being embarrassed, but it's something maybe I could work where it's being, I'm being brought to that point by another sin, or it could lead to a sin. And also maybe prevent me from growing in holiness, which is ultimately, you know, Jesus said, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Well, we have to, that's something we can't just do by snapping our fingers. We have to open up our minds and our hearts and our souls to correction and then act on that correction. I think that's why this book is important. Quick comment on that, Kristen Van Uden, and then we'll hand it over to Joe. Yeah, that's exactly right, that we should be seeking to grow in perfection as our Lord commanded us. And this is why it's good to start, it's good to do both examines, the one with the Ten Commandments, one with the seven deadly sins, because of course the first step is avoiding mortal sin, but that shouldn't be the goal. Once you've, that should be the bare minimum, right? You are not any longer committing habitual mortal sin. Great. That's the starting point from which you can build your character and can build your virtues from there. So really the pursuit of holiness and the pursuit of virtue is a lifelong endeavor. And we should seek to be growing these virtues, not only to avoid purgatory, but also just because this is the natural way that this is what our Lord created us to do is to grow in perfection. And to, I mean, it's not pleasant to sin either. That's the other thing. It's not pleasant to have any of these vices. These will all only have a deleterious effect on the soul and on everybody around us. Uh, Father talks about the sin of anger and how it destroys community spirit. So anger is one of those sins like envy that is sort of a poison to the sinner because it turns them into an irritable, not nice to be around person. And that he discusses in the terms of a religious community, because that's who he's writing for, that just one bad apple can destroy the, the happy family spirit of the whole monastery. How much more destructive can it be in a family, you know, where it's a, a smaller set of people who are more intimately bound? And then, of course, generational handing that down. So these sins can have widespreading effects beyond just that one individual person's soul. They can potentially lead other souls all the way to hell if they push them into sin and despair of their own but also they're just they they lower society they degrade society they degrade the family unit and any other community unit that you're in so really uh the saints always tell us to flee from even every venial sin and it's better to die than to commit even one small sin so that's the idea we should keep in mind when we are trying to root out even the smallest of sins absolutely joe rasinello well I you mentioned, you know, pride is the root of all sin and humility is the opposite of, of pride. Uh, Mother Teresa used to say that, like, we grow in humility through humiliation. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I think this type of book, and I've re read in my life some good examination of consciences, and it makes you understand things, like you said, Kristen, what's underneath certain ideas, certain behaviors, and that is a very good thing. You can also sometimes reveal uh, something like, I didn't even know that was a sin. Do you know what I mean? Like, listen, there's certain subtle behaviors that you could say, oh, wow, that's interesting. It's a... I say that, and then I'll say this. You can't learn humility from reading a book. Humility is learned through life. I think there's a lot of things like sharing. You don't learn sharing by reading a book. You learn it through life. A lot of times in a family, you know, you have there's six pork chops and there's seven people. 
You know what I'm saying? So you learn how to share through that. I say that because St. Francis also used to say he didn't like when people complimented him. He didn't like that. He actually liked when they criticized him. And because of that, I actually sometimes in life, um, it's easy for me to be uh, humble because I'm humiliated constantly. <laughs> so in life, sometimes when I something happens, um, I say that off the cuff. It's not easy. Uh, it's a struggle for everybody, but I am humiliated constantly. I have, I have five children and I work, uh, you know, in, in a demanding situation. And many times I'm put in a situation where I am like slightly humiliated. I say something wrong, do this, do that. I embrace those moments. I really do. I try to. I Instead of pushing them away, I make a conscious effort to embrace. Like, say I'm at work and I make a mistake, uh, like, of, and everyone in front of everybody, a recognizable error. Instead of, like, trying to write it off, I fully embrace it as a gift. I do this on purpose. And I'm interested in your comments because I think that happens to everybody. No matter who you are in life, from great to small, from smart to simple, we all have moments where we're humiliated, it, we, a slight humiliation. It's a tendency to push them away. I think it's a gift to embrace them because it, that is the answer to pride. What's your thoughts on that? Because I think that's an exercise we all could use. Definitely. And that's amazing that you've gotten to that level where you can willfully embrace those moments because it is a struggle because nobody likes to be made to feel small or that they're wrong or anything like that. But it does happen. It's just an indication that, of course, we're still fallen human beings and we're not perfect except through God. So these daily reminders of our own weakness serve if we approach them the right way, like you are, to help us to flee to God because we know that only through him can we find any degree of perfection and, and any rest and just also to to wonder at his perfection as opposed to our just fallen human nature so i'm sure saint alphonsus would also be proud of you because i know we've talked about before he's the author of the litany of humility which is very difficult to say sometimes because it includes such lines as uh from the desire to be esteemed above others free me something like that. And it literally asks or calls us to pray that others will have be um, paid attention to more than us, will get more acclaim than us and all of that. I got, I, I'm sorry, I got to cut you off. When my wife first introduced <laughs> that prayer to me, I was like, I, I, I'm seriously, and I knew I, I knew she was right. She says, you need to pray this. Because you need to pray this. Now, and, and, I, and after having read, I was like, I'm going to pray it. I'm going to pray for it. I hope in my heart, I mean it. You know, mm -hmm. I remember that it was such a challenge about challenging ourselves. But go ahead. I, I was just wanted to point that out. Exactly. And I think a lot of times this resistance to embracing humility in that full way, like you were mentioning, Joe, is that we have this conception of justice that an eye for an eye, you know, somebody wronged me or I was unfairly accused or whatever, then I, you know, you have to pay that back just as a matter of justice. But that when we think about Jesus was unjustly crucified, he was considered a criminal. That was not true. And part of the, the worst part of the passion was not just the physical suffering, but the humiliation, the 
absolute absurdity of God, the King of Kings, being crucified as a criminal and having things thrown at him and the Pharisees thinking that they were better than him and accusing him most absurdly and ironically of blasphemy. It's impossible that God can blaspheme himself. So the was something that we don't think about as often, but he, he took that and of course that's through which we gain our redemption and we're meant to imitate that in our own lives and really to be able to do that is a tremendous grace which i think like you said joe comes through practice we can't expect to have that level right away but <clears throat> even in the lives of the saints and i know peter saint peter claver comes to mind again where he was and had a servant taking care of him who's awful to him, who would like yell at him and like not take care of his his needs in the pile of squalor. And he welcomed that because it made him think, I am nothing without God, and reminding him to not embrace any sort of pride whatsoever, because the danger of pride is so bad that any humiliation is not as bad as falling into that pride, which can bring us away from God. Absolutely. Kristen Van Uden joining joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're talking about rooting out hidden faults, how the particular examine conquers sin. That's available at Sophia Institute Press. The author is Father James McElhone. I mean, I'm learning a ton from this interview, and I'm sure we'll learn a ton from reading the book. So um, talking about uh, learning something, knowing something, Kristen Van Uden. self-knowledge okay um we have to pray for that because we are so deluded i believe okay that we might not know what it is you know we we, we live a certain way for a certain amount of times ask god to open our eyes about those things uh, about ourselves about our about our own member we're talking about <laughs> our own eyes we don't even know they exist is it to pray to the holy spirit to 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 about for this self-knowledge yeah very important because self-delusion can be one of the greatest barriers to god how many people make imperfect confessions where they have even mortal sins that they're committing that they refuse to admit are sins or refuse to admit that they're complicit in and they just plow ahead ossified in that self-delusion until it's too late so we have to have a great degree of humility and father makes this point at the beginning of the book to pray to the holy spirit to reveal to you your predominant fault so to reveal to you which of these sins is the one that is causing most of your problems and that you fall into time and time again i've also heard from priests that praying to our lady of sorrows can achieve the same effect she's very um <clears throat> efficacious in in helping you to determine your prominent fault and we're told to know thyself, you know, even even from the secular ancients, that that is the most important thing that one can do is, is to understand, really, to see yourself as God sees you and not to see yourself in some puffed up, vain, false vision of yourself, which is really easy to do today, especially with social media, but also not to see yourself as a terrible, beyond re redemption scum of the earth, which is how the devil wants to see you if, if you're trying if he wants to keep you in despair and in sin. So really honesty about yourself is the first step to approaching the world because you can't be honest about the evils and the and the movements of the world if you're unable to look in the mirror and recognize those in yourself. So the whole 
um, remove the, the stick from your eye before the beam in your neighbors. I'm butchering that from, from scripture, but um, <clears throat> it's also, it's the easiest lie to maintain is the lie to yourself because others will call you out on your lies. You'll have effects, uh, repercussions in the world if you lie to the world, but if you lie to yourself, you can keep that up forever. And it's so dangerous because that is still a lie that can keep you from God. It can even become, I think, mortally sinful at one point to lie to that extent. So we have to see world, the world, see sin for what it is. And as we approach the world only through our own experience, we have to start with ourselves. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Kristen Van Uden, joining us here at the front line. Um, I, we, we probably should go to a break. Um, I think we should talk about... Um, when we come back, probably that dominant sin, um, you know, and, and things like that. But we'll, we'll, I'm going to let Joe Arsenello determine where we're going to head after the break. But in the meantime, uh, you're listening to us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Arsenello. We're way in the breach with a friend of the show, Kristen Van Uden from Sophia Institute Press. And we're talking about rooting out hidden faults, how the particular examine conquer sin. The author is Father James Malcahone. And this is such an important topic. So please uh, stay with us. Uh, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. And remember, follow Joe and I wherever you see us on social media at the Frontline TV or the Frontline with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share, do all of that fun stuff, and make sure you download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. This is a great conversation. This is an informative conversation. So we want you to stick around with Kristen Van Newton. We'll be right back. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, way in the breach with Kristen Van Uden. We're discussing Father James McElhone's book, Rooting Out how the particular examine conquered is available at the Institute Press. So with that, I'm going to hand it uh, back over to Joe Rostello. I want to explore the self-knowledge uh, conversation a little bit more. I think that's vital um, to understand who we are, and we're constantly evolving in that. But I would also say that I don't actually know if we'll ever know who we are, because God reveals things to us sometimes ugly things that you never knew existed. And I think the key to that is to accept those like revelations and then work on them because like God is constantly, and I'll use myself as an example. Um, I got married later in life. I was 43 when I got married. Um, and to be honest with you, there was a point, this is horrible to say, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I almost was like, I, I wasn't a sinner. Like, like as a single person at that point, I was living a chaste life. Um, my life was so disciplined and ordered as like a 40 year old man. Like I, I mean, I was, wasn't perfect, but like, I, I really had my act together. Then I got married and then I saw how selfish I was. I saw how impatient I was. I saw how I could lose my temper how I would get agitated over someone not listening to me, particularly my children. And they don't listen to me a lot. You know, like I tell them things and they don't listen. And then you get, you get, and that's a sin of pride 
actually. Mm -hmm. A priest told me that. So I didn't know that that was in me, but it was. So my point is this, when God is constantly in, in, in our lives showing us who we really are because he loves us and he wants us to get to heaven, it's for us to respond to that. That process is ongoing, like for everybody, because he wants to purify us now. And I'm interested in your thoughts on that, too, about self-knowledge, because, I mean, again, like even, you know, like I'm going to be 52 there's still a lot probably about me that I don't know. And God knows, but he wants me to become perfect, to, to identify those little impurities and to adjust my life to fix them. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's an excellent example of how our primary vocation is meant to sanctify us and bring us to heaven. And <clears throat> sometimes we tend to have uh kind of a Pollyanna view of vocations as everything's going to be wonderful once you're married or once you enter your religious vocation. But that's when the real work begins, as, as you've made clear, that that is what God uses to purify you, to hold up a mirror, not only to see your own faults and to improve on them, but also as the absolute um, pinnacle of self-giving and of self-sacrifice, how it's impossible to be selfish while living out any vocation. Because just as the... Um, mother or father has to pour themselves out completely for their children. So too, that's how the life of a priest ideally should be of them spending hours in the confessional, for example, and um, just as a parent would spend hours up with their child. So that is, yeah, I think that's really interesting that that dichotomy and how <clears throat> um, we, it is a, it is more of a challenge. It's more difficult, but that is what God wants for us. He wants you to, to reach that degree of perfection while being faced with these temptations. And that's how you can show to your children what true love is, is, is overcoming those. And this kind of reminds me of a discussion we had last time about purgatory, but how God does not force the soul. So the purification is a gradual process with little adjustment once, but there that someone offers up for them, each mass wipes a little bit away until eventually they're pure and clean enough to enter heaven. So it's the same principle here on earth. Like you mentioned, it's a struggle. These are things we struggle with. That's why we go to confession. That's why we give them to Jesus and we make a firm purpose of amendment. That doesn't mean that there's some, this is some miracle cure. The responsibility is yours to make a decision to keep moving forward. So, so that would be, I think, an antidote to um, at least be helpful to the prideful person, Kristen mm -hmm. Van Newton, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. But let's talk about the opposite extreme, which is equally as bad, okay? Scrupulosity, mm -hmm. beating yourself up over things that you did not do wrong, convincing yourself that you're, you're, what you're doing is mortally sinful, when may it, it might just be a bad habit, not particularly sinful, something you should correct, okay? Um, or outright making up sins, beating yourself up in the confessional. This is not a good thing, not a good thing at all. Talk to our, our audience about uh, scrupulosity and the danger, what it is, and the dangers of being scrupulous. Yeah, the best advice I've ever heard on scrupulosity from a priest is that it's actually, not to make anyone more scrupulous, it is a sin against God's justice because you are claiming that what your knowledge is better than that of God because if you're something, it's been forgiven, it's wiped away it's in the past and you 
continue to beat yourself up for it, then you're essentially overriding the confession and overriding the penance and, and continuing to place importance on something that has been paid for. And now, of course, there might be pain due to that sin you can offer indulgence for. is gone and so continuing to hold on to that guilt is actually subverting how god actually sees the world so the first time i heard that <laughs> first of all you think oh no not another sin to add to the list if you're scrupulous that's kind of not what you want to hear but it is very freeing just like the inverted sense of pride and these, these both come from the same wound sort of the, this wound of inverted pride comes from a, a wounded sense of self so scrupulosity ultimately has its its origins sometimes in this wound of a false view of oneself and the <clears throat> i actually think that this examine might be easier for people who suffer from scrupulosity because as he as he makes clear not everything on this list is a sin but it can point out these tendencies that you have towards sins so when you're struggling over whether something meets the conditions holistic approach determination when you go into the confessional but if you're struggling with um, vice that is one of these seven deadly sins this examine can help you to figure it out without falling into the the mind trap of is this one mortal or venial and just being so obsessed with figuring out these distinctions for that next confession that you miss the overall sin that needs to be rooted out as a whole well, thank you for that, because that, I, to me, like I said, that that's an important, important thing. Like some people can overdo it, you know, and you know, we emphasize to people, you know, obviously confess your sins, make sure you're confessing sins and, you know, and not something that's not. So thank you for that explanation. Kristen Van Union, uh, Joe Racinello. I want to talk about the sacramental life, because I really think that's the only way to root out tendons, sinful tendencies. Um, I think something that's not talked about a lot when it comes to confession is obviously when you go to confession, you're forgiven. That's everyone knows that. But also what confession does, and this is why I recommend constantly to people to go frequently, is you get grace to overcome your sin. You see, we talked about a dominant sin. Many times our dominant sin comes through the hurts of life. Mm -hmm. We've all been hurt in one way or another. It's part, as my father used to say, no one goes through this life, Joe, unscathed. It doesn't matter who you are. It does not matter whether you're the fanciest person, you're the king of Siam, or frankly, you're picking up garbage in the street. Everyone goes through this life is hurt in a way. And many times our dominant sin comes through that. So who do we go to? The divine healer, God, God. And he gives us grace in the sacrament. And I don't think people talk about that enough because like there's certain things because of hurts that people have experienced, they behave a certain way. You know, said sometimes say like, like I've worked with people who, who are obnoxious and like, Maybe I'm just throwing an example when they were young, maybe their parents made them feel insignificant and they're overcompensating. I, like there's just all types of things. How do you root that out? Confession. God gives you grace to overcome your weaknesses because he loves you. Talk about that because I don't think people discuss that enough. And I think that's the best sell for 
going to confession outside of being forgiven, you feel good and you wounded God, but also it's about improving and becoming holy and, 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 and frankly, healing. That's an excellent point. And it reminds me just of this secular maxim that hurt people hurt people, right? Where the nothing, nothing exists in a vacuum and sin is perpetuated throughout even generations, the whole, when will I be dead and rid of the wrong my father did from, from King Arthur even. So this, the, the sin has this, this ripple effect throughout life where we, I mean, all pain is due of course to original sin, but when we are hurt, which is beyond our control, then that becomes a wound that festers. And like you said, unless we break the light to be healed by God through the graces available in the sacraments, we'll try to deal with it in human ways and in other ways. And it can often be dealt with through coping mechanisms of sin. So if uh, substance abuse, the way obviously... Oh, most people who have substance abuse issues, it's because they have some deep-seated wound or some sort of healing that has been thwarted and has not occurred. So sin is the same way. It's just kind of a band-aid patch that we think is going to make this feel better, but it ultimately doesn't. So it, it, it just digs you further and further deeper into the hole of that pain. So I like the way you put it of, of each confession and each communion being this, this outpouring of grace that's like a healing medicine, because of course that is the truest medicine for the soul and also keeps us accountable to be going back to develop a love for the Eucharist keeps us accountable to going to confession because you have to be in the state of grace to receive. So we are not only um, reorienting our priorities and, and, and our love, but also being held accountable to to kind of take your pills on time you know like to, to force yourself to take care of yourself and uh, another way, helpful way to to see this is to to think of examples and like you did to to think of people you know and if you know ways that they've been hurt and to see how it manifests in their lives and then extend the same compassion and understanding to yourself and doing the particular exam is a very concrete way to do that because you want to get to the bottom of this. It's not, we're, we're all living in pain, but we want to, we don't want that pain to compound and we don't want to give the devil access to that pain. We want to give it to Jesus instead. And this is really interesting when you hear exorcists speak as well, because they talk about somebody having a great harm done to them can be a, port, a portal to the demonic. So lots of people who are sexual abuse survivors, for example, often fall into the occult later in life because of that great pain that they've suffered they and they don't know how how to cope with it that the devil will use that and it, it, it does seem very unfair that if we're hurt without our own you know complicity or knowledge that that's something that the devil can can work at to to get us away from god but it um as self-awareness of the fact that that's happening and the humility to recognize that you are in a great deal of pain and that that the knowledge that that pain can only be healed by God, I think is, is the first step to recognizing that sin is not going to heal. Sin can never heal. Sin can only make things worse. I, I want to also Absolutely. talk about humility <clears throat> with regard to going to confession, because it's a great humiliation sometimes to go to confession. Let's be honest. I mean, um, <clears throat> to say you're sorry, I'm sorry. 
is cathartic, but it's hard. And the devil knows that. A trick that I don't like, I'm going to be honest, but I'll share it again with my own life, is um, go to the same priest. That's harder. And if you've done something that you find humiliating, sometimes I'll be honest, I may say things mean to my kids in, in, in when my patience is like off the charts. I say that first, it's humiliating. And I always find it cathartic, get it done with. And why I say go to the same priest is this. All of us here are trying. Let's be honest. I mean, all three of us, you know, we wouldn't be on the show if we weren't trying, but we're all sinners. <clears throat> sometimes when you bounce around a little bit, and sometimes you have to because you're here, you're there. Like I'll go to confession in New York City. I'll go to confession home. But when you go to the same priest, he gets to know you. And when he gets to know you, he knows you're not a saint. And you, it, it pops that bubble in your head, like, oh, I'm so good. I'm doing so well. I'm perfect. I'm a perfect person. No, you're not. No, you're not, Joe Resinello. You're not. You're not. I'm not. I don't beat myself up, but I'm hardly perfect. And that same priest knows you and he helps you. But it, it, it breaks that, that delusion in your head that like, oh, I'm so good. I'm doing so good. And because you know that that guy staring across from that, that screen, he knows you're not perfect. I know you, Joe, as you know, I, what's your thoughts on that? Cause that, that helps me. It's not easy though. And I'm going to be honest. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, let me first just say that, but it's again, a tool in the toolbox to keep you humble because humility has to be learned. It's I'm very, I think that's important. What are your thoughts? The both of you. And often a lot of the saints had regular confessors. So this has kind of fallen out of practice because as you said, we, we go to mass different locations. Some churches have priests and a lot of people just don't like going to the priests that they know. And the, one of the greatest benefits I think is that they also can come to terms with how you tend to lie to yourself. And I, you know, friends have told me in the confessional, they, um, priests have just been like cut about certain things. Which even among many people, but especially when they get to know you and the way you confess of whether or not you're trying to hide something or try to make it seem less bad than it was. So what that, what that really is, is a manifestation of true charity, which is acting for the good of the soul of the other person. So that's, if the priest is hard on you in confession, that's what he's trying to do. It's not from a place of trying to make you feel bad, but of getting you to stop lying to yourself and to break yourself out of that mind prison so that you can be real and get rid of those sins once and for all. So yeah, I think the consistency is definitely helpful. The, um, there's also, you know, outside of confession, having a spiritual director, which I know is hard to come by these days, but somebody who you can regularly go to, to track these patterns over time in your life is something that has been hugely beneficial throughout the, the history of the church and hopefully will make a comeback. Christian Buden is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello were discussing Rooting Out Hidden Faults. And that is the book that was written by Father James McElhone, which is available now at Sophia Institute Press. I have a, I have a follow-up to all that. Um, we talked about scrupulosity. We talked about humility. 
talk about, and this was something I learned that I think many in our audience would benefit from, um, you know, talking a little bit more about this. Talk about what is Christian Manute and what is presumption and why is that to be avoided, particularly when it comes to, you know, avoiding sin. Um, what is presumption? How does that work and why is it dangerous? So you mean like presumption in that we are committing sin or from the scrupulous side that you are? What I'm, what I'm saying is that, that I guess that my view of presumption is um, I can go ahead and commit this sin because I know that I could go to confession oh, right. and, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and I'll be forgiven. That's presumption. Before you act, you're acting in a sinful well, I'll let you I'll let you uh, yes. define it forward. Yeah, that's a very dangerous concept here, that it's also actually an abuse of the sacrament to commit a sin knowing that you can go to confession because that means that you are devaluing the sacrament and you're using it essentially. You're you're wargaming life <laughs> so that you can continue to commit sins and get all the pleasure associated with whatever you're doing, but then assuage your own conscience, which is screaming at you to stop sinning by just going to confession, checking the box and moving on with no firm purpose of amendment to do it again. So the, the true contrition and the firm purpose of amendment are two of the essential staples of a confession that if they are not present can actually invalidate the sacrament. So if people are doing that, they're not only doing a grave disservice to their own soul and making it more difficult to to know whether any confession in their life is valid, but they're also kind of, they're, they're insulting the priest by putting him through this, this act of, of going through the confession while, while you're in a lie, and also weakening the church at large by creating an image of the sacrament that is, that is wrong, that is scandalous, that it's something that you can just go and, and you know, people who often go to confession regularly sometimes do this where they just go back and start sitting the next day without having that firm purpose. So it's making a mockery of the church. It's making a mockery of the sacraments. And this is, this is why you have to, this is, this kind of like brings it back to the importance of even doing an examine in the first place. Cause a lot of times confession can seem very routine. Like, you know what to say, you're done, check, wait till next week or the week after. But every single confession should technically be our last because <laughs> you're supposed to stop sinning once you get out. So obviously we have to continue to purify our, our souls throughout our lives, but that uh, full force of the will is something that's often missing. And that's something that's addressed in this book, um, especially through those meditations that you brought up at the beginning. And then also at the end, he has another meditation on the five wounds that, that bring it all together. Thank you for that, Christian. I want to hand it over to Joe, but I want to make an important distinction because I can hear people out there maybe thinking in their mind, you know, um, you know, about the the idea of presumption. I think all sin to a certain on a certain level, we are presuming on on the mercy of Jesus Christ on uh, not on a blatant, deliberate level. But we all do have to remember as Catholics is that we're in a struggle. We mentioned that earlier in the conversation. We will fall, okay? I mean, let's face it. If you say you're not going to fall, then we're back to pride. So we have to understand we're going to get punched in the face sometimes by temptation, by concupiscence. And on a certain level, we do know that we could go to Christ. Now, we want, I want to make it clear to our audience, but that's not the same as, let's say, when you know what you're doing is wrong and it's something within your control. You're not addicted to it. Uh, you're not, let's say, completely powerless. 
It's something you know that you could do differently and you refuse to, and then you do it anyway, and then you go to confession. I just wanted to make the distinction because I can maybe hear a little bit of criticism about, you know, um, you know, even bringing up presumption. I, 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 you know what I mean, Kristen? Like, I just want to be clear that presumption yeah. is doing something that's within your control. I, and also, too, it's something that's within your control, okay, um, that, you could, that you could change. And, and you, let's say, for argument's sake, and you don't. And then you go to confession for it. That I think would qualify as presumption. Am I right. wrong? Right. And even when you, if you commit a sin with presumption, like, oh, I'll just go to confession next week. But then by the time you get to confession, you realize that was wrong and you confess that, then that's still okay. So it's not something you can't dig yourself out of, but having that attitude towards sin is, is a very slippery slope. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. We, we have a few more minutes. Joe Rossinello, we, uh, well, before we go, let me just very quickly, Kristen Van Newton joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. And we're discussing Father James McElhone's book, uh, Rooting Out Hidden Faults, How the Particular Examine Conquers Sin, uh, that is available at Sophia Institute Press. Jojo. Well, the book discusses, Kristen, uh, the cardinal virtues, uh, faith, hope, and charity, how they counter the seven deadly sins. <clears throat> I want to emphasize the growth in virtue. Padre Pio said that if we're not growing, going forward, we're going backward. And I think this is something that's missed in some segments of the of Catholic life, um, there's things to use your you, you know uh, the way you said it. Check the box. To be a practicing Catholic, at the minimum, you're supposed to go to confession once a year. That's a rubric of the church. You have to go to church once a week. But we have to grow in virtue. You see, this is an and a vital aspect of Catholic life. You have to grow in virtue, and a lot of times we're not virtuous people, all of us, there's selfishness about us and all the different faults that we all have, we're human. Confession helps us to do that. And I wanna say what a priest told me once, and uh, Joe knows this priest, Father George Sharp, he's a good priest. Um, he said, Joe, you don't just float into heaven. No one just floats in, you gotta work. You got to work on yourself and, and going to confession regularly. John Paul said this, Fulton Sheen said this, and Padre Pio said this. Padre Pio had holes in his hands. I'm going to listen to him. Go to confession once a month. It's working on yourself. It holds you accountable. Talk about that with regard to the cardinal virtues in growing in virtue. Talk about like what the how the book addresses that. But also, I think going to confession helps that to happen. And that's vital. Absolutely. And one of the distinctions that Father McElhone makes is between the disparity between where you are now in your level of virtue and the level that you want to be. So the first step in wanting to attain virtue is recognizing the lack that you have right now, but to not do so in a pessimistic sense. So this quote from the, the chapter on hope, actually, on page 128, really emphasizes this. He says, discontent with self and discouragement are not the same. To be dissatisfied with self is a grace that is part of sorrow. It makes us want to do better, urging us to serve God more faithfully. Whereas discouragement would actually be coming from pride and would be coming from beating ourselves up for not holding ourselves to that standard. Whereas if you have this discontent where you know that there's a better standard that you can reach, that is from a place of humility where you're asking God to help you to get to that level. So the, I thought it was interesting that he makes that distinction that there's a way to be dissatisfied with how you are without 
letting that spiral into self-hatred and without um, turning away from God in that process. Jim, very quickly with the last minute we have, how important it is or how important is it to fast regularly to help to root out sin? Remember, we're talking about hidden faults. We want to get them out in the open so we can allow Jesus to help us with that. How do we get them? How does fasting help with that? We have about a minute left. Fasting is one of the most important tools that we have in the arsenal that the church has given us. And of course, we should keep the fasts that the church uh, gives us throughout the year. Maybe start doing ember days again, even though those are optional in the calendar right now. But Jesus himself said in the Gospels that certain demons can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. And certain sins, if there's something that you're continually struggling with time and time again, prayer is the number one recourse. Doing an exam like this under the guidance of a good confessor but also fasting can be one of those just nuclear options that we should not hesitate to take advantage of to humiliate ourselves, subordinate the flesh, because that's what fasting does. It mortifies the flesh. It makes you very detached from the things of this world so you can see more clearly the things of God and where you're going. Krista Van Uden, thank you as always for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Always a great conversation with you. The book is Rooting Out Hidden Faults, How the Particular Examine Conquers Sin. You could buy that at Sophia Institute Press. Kristen, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon, our friend. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, and share it with your friends. You'll have access to all of our station's content. And please, where you find Joe and I on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Frontline with Joe and Joe, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.